Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good afternoon to you. We're running a little bit later than usual. Wanted to uh, make room for our next guest. My name is Patrick Timpone, and we're live here this morning or this afternoon, 17 August 2022. So if you care to join the show, you can call 888-663-6386, email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. As you know, if you listen to our Friday show, which is titled, It Takes a Long Time to Get Young, we muse on Fridays, you and I, one-on-one, about soul, mind, body, and how the aging thing is just made up, and uh, that we're all eternal, all the good stuff in life, my passion in life, and the title of a book that I'm writing, and also my third screenplay, It Takes a Long Time to Get Young. And I came across this lady, and I don't know how. Her name is Stephanie Arnold. And if you look at the front cover of the book, let me see if I can pull it up here. I'm going to read a, a, just a bit of it. It's well, Let's see, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I might have messed up. But anyway, well, it, 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 here it is. The day my son was born, I died. I had pre- premonitions it was going to happen. But no one believed me, even more unbelievable is what I would see when I flatlined for 37 seconds. Flatlined for 37 seconds. That's the name of her book, is 37 Seconds, and she's with us here and and, and somewhere. Where do you live, Stephanie? Good good, good afternoon. Where, where are you? Where are you? I'm in Chicago. Chicago. Man, holy cow. You're a brave girl being in Chicago. Yeah, right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 37 seconds. So, when did this uh, experience happen? How long ago? Um, nine years ago. Nine years ago. So, you're pregnant, and talk about premonitions. You had insights, dreams, or whatever that things were not going to go well, that you were going to die? Yeah, I had, um, I'd had a baby before. I'd had a C-section before, so this wasn't the fear of the unknown. I was pregnant with our last child, a uh, boy, and the first half of the pregnancy, the first 20 weeks of the pregnancy went fine, no issue. And then when we got to the 20-week ultrasound um, where they determine that everything is in its proper place, all fingers, toes, and all of that, um, I was diagnosed with something called a placenta previa, which is basically where the placenta is growing on top of the cervix. And worst case scenario is as the uterus grows, as the belly grows, then it'll move out of the way and then you have a normal delivery. But there was something that sat with me that I looked at my husband and I said, I've got a bad feeling about this. Mm. And then um, what I, what he was said to me was like, you know, Stephanie, you've got great prenatal care. We've had a baby before. Don't worry about it. We don't have all the information about this, but you know, it's, it's probably fine. And I said, well, you know, I have a very rare blood type as O negative and I don't want to be rare or special in any other category, <laughs> but, but it was one of those things, like, like I talked to people that it's a knowing, I just knew something bad was going to happen. So then what does one do when one has information that they don't know anything about? They start doctor Googling it. And I start Googling like, what is a placenta previa? What can it turn into? And it showed that it could turn into an accreta, which is basically where the placenta marries itself to the uterus. 
if that happens, you can bleed. If that happens, you might need a hysterectomy. If that happens, you might hemorrhage. And if that happens, you and the baby could lose your life. Hmm. And I sat back. And again, this was unknowing. And I look at my husband and I said, this is going to happen to us. The only difference is the baby is going to be fine. Whoa. So, of course, you know, my husband's a PhD economist from University of Chicago. He's very grounded. He's a former Air Force pilot. He is, you know, linear, knows, like, all the data does not say anything like this, right? So, so this is all in my head. But, of course, it's like, you know, he is thinking, let's just calm you down. Maybe there's too much testosterone running through your body with the boy, <laughs> and let's just, you know, deal with it. Hmm. So, it's like, okay. So, um, I told everybody. I told every nurse, every doctor, I went to every OB appointment and I was like, my placenta previous is going to turn into an accreta. I'm going to hemorrhage. You're going to need a lot of blood. I'm going to need a hysterectomy. I'm going to be a dead on the operating table. <laughs> and of course, yeah, just like you're laughing, everybody looked at me like I was the crazy person, right? This woman is out of control. Like, you know, maybe she needs sleep meds. Maybe she needs to be less stressed. You know, what's going on? And I was like, um, this I, this was really frustrating because nobody was listening to me. And, you know, in their defenses with all of the tests, blood workup, ultrasounds, nothing indicated that this was going to happen. But I knew that it was. So then I met with... Um, the head of gynecological oncology at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Now, now understand this, one of the biggest teaching hospitals mm. in the world. Right. A gynecological oncologist, what I was told is that if I needed emergency hysterectomy, that my OB wouldn't be able to do it, but they transferred me to maternal fetal medicine. Well, you don't want an MFM to do it because a gynoc, a gynecological oncologist, has more experience with high-risk reproductive organs. And so this would constitute that, especially when 20% of your blood supply is going to the uterus. So not easy making an appointment with the head of Gynoc um, at this hospital when you don't have reproductive organ cancer and you have no diagnosis, right? So we're sitting in the waiting room. My husband went with me to every single appointment and he said, you know, I'm embarrassed to be here. These women, there are women surrounding us that are, have IVs, losing hair, they're suffering from cancer. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't that I, you know, I wanted to waste anybody's time, but maybe this doctor has heard from a patient before that it had this kind of foreboding. And maybe there was something else I could do because for right now, everybody's seeing an open road and I see an 18-wheeler headed straight for me. Right, right. I understand. So, yeah. so we go to this doctor and he's sitting there and he's got um, his resident taking notes and Mrs. Arnold, how can we help you? I said, well, my placenta is going to turn into an accreta. I'm going to need a hysterectomy. You're my doctor. I see you. You see me. My husband was like, it's very mafia-like. And I was like, this is, this is it. So he's, he sits back. The resident stops taking notes. And he's like, Mrs. Arnold, have you been on the internet? And I was like, why, well, yes, I have doctor, but, but this is what's going to happen. So they ended up um, saying, okay, well, why don't we get an MRI? If we see on the MRI that there's a merger between the uterus and the placenta, then we will schedule ourselves for the mandatory C-section you're having at 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. And I felt better because now I had something else to do. And I felt like somebody believed me. So I do the MRI. The MRI is negative for an accretum. And my husband says, you should feel better. And I said, I don't, because I'm running out of people to tell I this understand. crazy. Yeah, I get it. 
split. Trust me. Hey, just so just so you know, in the I was chuckling at you not because I didn't believe you. I was chuckling because I did believe you because I know that you are a spiritual being in the body, which you're going to talk about, and you saw and you knew, you knew, uh, uh, and the doctors didn't listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. Yeah. It, but it's it's tough when you're dealing in one dimension and sure. you're dealing with data and you're dealing with um, everybody with big letters behind their names, including my husband. Right, right. And I am going off of a feeling. Yeah. Right. That doesn't that doesn't that doesn't bode well for for medicine. Right. They want a diagnosis and then they want a treatment. And there's no diagnostics that are that are telling anybody that there's a problem. So um, I think at one point we had, and I write about this, but at one point I had, um, I, you know, I was walking through a park and it was a cold winter day and the fountain um, was off. But then I was telling my daughter who was almost two at the time, oh, but the fountain's so beautiful when it's flowing. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, it turned to blood and blood was rushing out of it. And then I felt my body hemorrhage. I had a visceral mm. reaction to oh. that that thought and so i grabbed the stroller i called my husband and i said meet me at the emergency room so we go to the er they triage me and they said mrs arnold are you okay and i said no obviously i'm hemorrhaging you know i'm wearing black leggings i don't know i'm too scared thinking okay the baby's gonna fall out if you know i take off anything so no you know no you're not amniotic fluid's fine baby's fine you know you're fine and so my husband's like okay great false alarm and i was like no this is a warning you know and it was just like it was all foreshadowing and it was this this vehicle that just kept going and going and so then um at one point my doctor said you know why don't you have a consultation with anesthesia so i said okay so i speak to the anesthesia on the phone and i said this is what i'm afraid of happening and she says well this is where you'll recover this is the epidural this is all these logistics and i i told her i said i know all that but what happens in the event this 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 and this happens and she was startled by that but she said she said, you know, you're in a teaching hospital, Mrs. Arnold. We prepare for all sorts of emergencies. I hope I made you feel better. And I said to her, and she told me later, she'll never forget what I said. The last thing I said to her was, it is what it is. And then, you know, I was almost done because I was like, what else can I do? Except I took to Facebook. And then I posted on Facebook. Oh I'm like, anybody needs blood type, I'm going to need it, right? It's all thought whatever you know not that anybody could have given me my blood but but i was like maybe somebody has heard about their pregnant cousin who had this foreboding what this was and um i wrote goodbye letters i sent out goodbye letters i told people exactly what was going to happen to me i mean i was in starbucks at one point and the barista was like oh how's your pregnancy going i'm like i'm gonna die i mean i told everyone hmm. So the day um, my husband was out of town, I was in Chicago feeding my daughter breakfast and I started bleeding all over the kitchen floor. Mm. And I, I called him, I said, today's the day. And we get to the hospital, I get triaged again and the doctor's like, you know, and, and my husband is now on a plane heading back thinking that he will make it. And so I'm Skype chatting with him and my doctor's like, you know, something that the ORs are quiet. I think we've been stressed this whole time. I think we should take the baby out. And so the last things I'm writing to my husband, I'm acutely aware that those are going to be the last things he's going to read over and over and over again. Yeah. And so I wrote 
you made me the happiest woman in the world. Please you know, take care of this child. This isn't his fault. Take care of our children. I love you. And I remember everything else. And he still wasn't getting it. So he said, you know, how do I, um, what did he say? He said, he said, where do I meet you? And I said, eighth floor recovery, hopefully. And then I kissed my daughter a million times because again, she's two and I'm thinking, you know, this is the last time I'm going to see her. She's never going to remember me. And I get wheeled down to the OR. I tell my doctor one more time, there's something wrong. You need to put me under general anesthesia. And she said, Stephanie, I'm not going to put you to sleep because if I put you to sleep, I put the baby to sleep. It's a dangerous situation. I know you're nervous. Jonathan's not here, but we're here to take care of you. And that was my last ditch effort. Like, you know, here I am with an epidural. This baby's coming out. I'm, you know, it, the fear is palpable. And I'm being wheeled into the room that is going to give life to my son and take mine. So one, one is having a C-section, you're laying down on a gurney, your arms are in a T-form, you have a curtain in front of your face. It's very cold and sterile and gets eerily quiet. And if anyone has ever, well, you can imagine being buried alive. You can, you know, feel like you're just taking your last breaths. And I swear as God is my witness, I feel like I scared myself out of my body because I've been petrified for three months straight, day mm -hmm. and night, thinking wow. all these things. Three months, you were scared and worried this whole time, Stephanie. Crazy. Wow. Whole time. And what, what's interesting is people tell me, well, if you're, you're given your expiration date, enjoy those moments with your family. You know, take vacation, do whatever it is you need to do to, to I failed. I didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't do anything. I was like, I was like, I'm dying and I'm trying to save my life and no one believes me. I don't want to go. And I'm like, you know, and my husband doesn't believe it. So are you telling me the love of my life, my soulmate, right. is not going to believe That's that important. there's this other connection, yeah. that there's something else out there. I'm going to be dead and gone and it's going to be over. No, I'm not going to be satisfied with that. So, <laughs> wow. so we deliver a healthy, happy baby. And so, so the C-section just came out. The baby came out, right? Baby's fine. Everything's fine. He's great. And seconds later, I'm dead. You leave your body. Gone. I ended up having um, a very rare pregnancy complication called an amniotic fluid embolism, which is a one in 40,000 risk. If anyone in your audience has heard of it, they know someone who's died. Um, it's where amniotic cells get into the mother's bloodstream. And if you happen to be allergic to it, your body goes into somewhat of an anaphylactic shock. And in most cases, you don't make it. To give you perspective, um, Northwestern at the time, you know, was I think t almost 30 years in existence. They delivered 12,000 babies a year. They had 10 in their entire history. 10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Six did not make it. And the other three were in permanent vegetative states. Um, I flatline. The first part of the, the AFE is you flatline, you cardiac arrest, oh. gone, oh. gone. So they resuscitated me, they intubated me, and they taped my eyes shut. And then the second half of an AFE starts, which is your body's inability to clot blood. And you, your normal body is 20 units of blood. And again, I'm O negative, so I can only receive O negative blood, but I can donate to everybody. So my body was given 60 units of blood and blood product to save my life. 60 and, units, wow. And so then, they stabilize me 
and they put me in a medically induced coma and they transferred me to surgical ICU. Now I predicted a lot of things, but what I didn't predict was that there was a crash cart and there was extra blood in the operating room at the time of delivery. Hmm. And when I asked later what happened, they said the anesthesiologist I spoke to, the very last phone call I made she said she was uncomfortable with what I said. She had never had a patient speak so clearly about what was going to happen, mm-hmm. had had a baby before, had had a C-section before, and sought out specialists to save her life. And with that one phone call, she flagged my file and incorporated the extra blood in the crash cart in the operating room. And that's 100% why I'm still here. So are you saying that you did not experience anything during the time when you claimed dead and you weren't dead because you're still here, uh, yeah. you know you didn't you didn't have any out of experience. Oh, I did, but that comes afterwards. Okay, I thought so. I okay, you were going to get to that. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't dark. Uh, you you didn't have the experience, and this oh. happened. Yeah, this is what yeah. we're yeah. So tell us what happened. So what's yeah, the first so thing? I'm, what's the first thing, Stephanie, that you were aware of that was different from where you were? light so let let me clarify how this happened because for months um you know people would ask did you see the light i was on a talk show once and the host was like did you see the light i'm like i don't know man they gave me a lot of drugs you know i have no idea you know so so i wasn't afraid to say that there wasn't or there was but if there was a way to find out i wanted to traditional therapy wasn't helping me um and i felt like you know and everybody kept saying like you know maybe you manifested this maybe this was a self-fulfilling prophecy maybe as and i'm like no i got messages like there was something that was so uh so strong that you know, you that know. yes i was i was listening but, you know okay so i'm like so i wanted to find out so i ended up doing um some Something called regression therapy, which uses hypnosis to take you back into moments of trauma. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that I would get any answers 100. percent But you know, there, again, there was nothing traditional about what happened. So why do I need to use traditional therapy? Right. And so I videotaped that therapy, and it took about 30 hours. And it, basically, for your audiences, it's like you know, they use hypnotherapy like to access moments in your life that are stored as film strips in your brain so if you are under hypnosis you're relaxed enough you go in as an observer you pull one of those film strips out and you can start seeing a full picture now the interesting thing is is many times you don't know whether what you're saying is the truth or not but i will get to that in a moment so so we we finally 30 hours into therapy i go into the or and she gets me back there and you can see on the tapes you know, I say, okay, Stephanie, um, um, what I see is Stephanie laying on the operating table. And then I see my spirit perpendicular to my body. And then when all hell breaks loose, I see the nurse who jumped on my chest to give me CPR. I saw which nurse hit the button for the code. I saw what my doctor was doing at the bottom of the the, um, the bed, the anesthesiologist by my feet. I saw what my daughter was doing. It was complete out of body experience. I saw that there wasn't one crash cart, that there were two crash carts. It was, it went on and on and on. And then I saw hundreds of spirits. So I saw people that I knew and people that I didn't know. What did they look like? You, like a mom passed on or dad? What did, what did they look like? Similar to so, in a physical? Yes, similar to that, but with a glow. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and it wasn't like, I didn't see buildings, I didn't see God. It was it was warm, it was inviting. And it was, and the way I described it was like, it was like, I was two steps below where the congregation was growing. Like, you know, it was like people 
curious. Um, my uncle who had passed um, was one of the first people the, who talked to my grandmother from Cuba, the same thing. Um, and I know, I, you know I've read articles from Psychology Today saying, of course, when people are traumatized, they want to see their loved ones. But it's the ones I didn't know. I will put a pin in those, but it's the ones I didn't know that had message for the people that I do know that I could never have known. So, um, so anyway, so I go through this whole therapy. You see my body seize, convulse, collapse, go through a physical pain, and and then um, and then I feel like there's this release. So of course my husband takes one look at this graphic video and he can't watch it for long, but he says, he's like, how do you know this isn't a recalled episode of Grey's Anatomy in your head? Uh, a recall episode for what? Of Grey's Anatomy. How oh, Grey's Anatomy. In your head. So I was like, yeah, okay, fair point, fine, after I was done calling him a, a lot of names. So, <laughs> so he was like, he was like, you know, how do you know? I said, okay, it's a fair point. So I go back to my therapist and said, how do you know what I'm telling you is true? She's like, well, sometimes the only validation we get is the patient feels better and you feel better. I said, that's not good enough for me. I have witnesses. So I took the tapes. I went back to the hospital. I videotaped the doctors, their reactions, looking at the tapes. Wow. And then I said, does any of this resonate with you? And the tears and the shock from my doctors were like, I didn't go to medical school for this. You shouldn't know any of this. And if any of your audience has watched the Netflix show, Surviving Death, of which we're on, you know, you can hear my doctor talk about the experience for her. It has changed the way they practice medicine. Yeah. Because in one way, you know, when emergencies happen, they treat the body and they're trying to get you out of danger. They they take for granted that, oh, you're, there's no consciousness there. There's no spirit there. And what this did for them, which is a blessing, which made them, they already had great bedside manner. But what they realized is that no one was talking to me. No one was telling me what they were doing, how they were, you know, to, to be okay, you know, that they've got me, whatever it is. They were just treating the slap of meat. Yeah. And so it was accurate down to where they were standing. I One nurse came up to me while I was, you know, saying my thank yous to some of the doctors when I went back for like an annual with Jacob and I was out of a wheelchair and because I, I was in bad shape. And so they were like, Miss Arnold, you wouldn't remember me, but it's so good to see you walking again. And I said, you broke my ribs. And she's like, and I do it again to save your life. And then she went back to her office. She had been, she'd become a manager at that point. And she said later that her, her nurse friend said later that she was crying for a long time because you shouldn't know that. You shouldn't know that, right. So Stephanie, go back a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a bit hazy because I was so excited about what you're saying that I didn't listen as well as I could have. Uh, how did you, see, you saw this through hypnotism, being hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you relived whatever you experienced that moment, which makes yeah. sense because there's only now, it's all that information is there. It's still there. Yeah, it's still yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, and then the other thing, like when I had the convulsion and, and, the, and seized on the tape, you know, one of my anesthesiologists said, you know, Stephanie, it wasn't like 
a real endless. It was like, you know, you gagged and you seized it. And then I showed her the video. I said, did it look anything like this? And she said, it looked exactly like that. So the video came from where? I videotaped my hypnosis. Uh, so Oh, just you, though? I mean, what did the video show? Just you and talking about what you're seeing? Me under hypnosis with my therapist. So split screen like we're doing here. Right. So my therapist was on one and then I was on the other. And because I, I didn't know if I'd remember anything under hypnosis. And so we did it through video chats. So I did my therapy that way. It wasn't in person. Right. So everything that you said on the video is exactly that what happened. Yeah. So you, you saw it. You relived the whole thing. It's so cool. It's crazy. And how and, did and you... I, 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 I tout like my TV career, my previous life, because it was like, there were parts of me, I didn't do this on purpose to say, okay, here's this, but, but I'm so research oriented that the story that I'm telling you sounds bonkers, but without the Facebook posting, without the documentation that I had, without the goodbye letters, without all of the tests and all of the things I went through, it would be unfathomable that somebody could go through this, let alone believe it. And then the post of doing all that, I don't want to be labeled like like the I, you know, I am who I'm married to, my career, my life. I'm like, I'm putting myself in, in this place under a guillotine. And I'm like, I'm totally fine with skeptics. I have no issue with it. Come at me as much as you want. But here are the facts. Right. And then you decide. And that 99.9% .9 of them will say, I don't know, I don't have an answer for you, but there's got to be an answer for you, right? And so I'm like, cool. Well, when you come up with it, I'm open to it. Yeah. But, you know, so one of my doctors was like, you know, foreboding exists prior to an embolus or a heart attack, but moments before, maybe a day before. But three months before in the detail you had it, I mean, I ultimately did have the hysterectomy. The doctor was called in seven hours later after I was put into the surgical ICU. The accreta had started to form, but the MRI didn't pick it up. So the pathology on the uterus showed that it was there. So there were all these things that one after the other was like, there's there's no way. Even the test. I mean, and you, can, you have sure. margins of errors right. with the test, not all of them. So when you someday tell your son about this, if you choose to, um, what will you, how will you describe and paint to him the picture of what and who was the entity that knew this and experienced this? How, how would you tell him about that? He, we, we do talk about, he's nine. I mean, he's been on a few talk shows with me. He's seen, you know, his friends, you know, they read his, his older sister and her friends and, I have a teenage stepdaughter and, you know, people are aware of it. Um, they talk to him, but he is, as much as he tries to um, deduce how it's possible, because he's like, mommy, but you're not dead. You're here, but you died and you came back. And how is that? If you can, if you can come back to life, can't Poppy, like my, my father, his grandfather. Okay, well, let me rephrase it then. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it that way. How do you explain it to me? Who... What is the entity? Who is the entity that experienced this? Do you have a grasp on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I believe that my uncle, who I was closest to, was the one that was giving me those messages only because the only thing I was craving during my pregnancy were cigarettes, and I don't smoke cigarettes. And there's only one person in my life who had balls enough to smoke in front of me because I'm asthmatic. <laughs> so, and that was my uncle. And so it was just every time I would have these visions and there was a calmness before the vision would happen, I would smell cigarettes. And so um, then my husband was like, well, maybe, you know, he has as non-spiritual as my husband is like, well, my father smoked cigarettes. I said, yeah, but you know, there's a certain type of cigarette that you smell and it was uh, marble reds. And so it's got a very pungent, very strong smell. And that is what I was craving. So I believe that he was the one sending me those messages in whatever capacity he could. And it's how I start the book. Um, It is how I have understood it to happen. When I flatlined, my grandmother was there and my uncle. And my uncle is the one that continually is the fighter in the family and the black sheep. And he was like, you were always a fighter. You've always known what to do. So do you have a conception or a belief or a reality of who is the entity that was getting these messages and had the out-of-body experience? I don't think I've... I've um, processes that way. I feel like the the spirit and the body are two separate entities t- tethered together with an umbilical cord. Um, and when we flatline, that umbilical cord gets severed. And so, because during my regression and I saw the flatline happen, and when I came back into my body through the regression, it was incredibly painful being thrusted back in. Mm-hmm. But it was all coming from Um, from my Dantian, from the womb. And so maybe for me, it's because it was a pregnancy trauma. Maybe for me, it was that's where the wound is and where the healing has begun. But for me, that's where spirit came in and out. Hmm. Have you, um, so you're, you're liking spirit to who connected with you, not separate from you. You say spirit. Correct. Right. Yeah. Well, so this time in this lifetime. I'm sorry. In this lifetime. Correct. In this lifetime, I am tethered to me and housed in this body as you know, this Taoist priest once said to me, he's like, you know, this is your five star temple and if you don't take care of your temple, then the spirit decides to jump ship and find another yeah, five star temple. Do, do it again. So, so do you have any fear now of what they call dying? No. How could you? Because you know what happens. Yeah, the only the only sadness I have, and it's what I tell people on TikTok, and you know, all this, <laughs> is that is that the the sadness I have would be what everybody has is that you don't physically you can't hug that person anymore. You sure. can't you know, share those moments physically, but the death moment, the actual impact of death, does not hurt. And when you are there with the your loved ones or those entities around you and you're feeling love and you're feeling light, it is, it's pleasant. It's just in those moments, I mean, people tell me, well, your near-death experiences, you know, I hear you talk about it like you didn't like it. Everybody talks about wanting to stay there. And I said, no, of course I didn't want to stay there. Of course it wasn't pleasant for me because I didn't want to be there. I have a husband I love. I have children I just want to be with. And I fought, not that 
not that it wasn't pleasant it just wasn't pleasant for me because i was like no we are not doing this right now. it's not time we're just gonna it's not time and so then my husband gets into a philosophical conversation about predetermination and, and free will. And I said, I think they're on two separate courses. And he is like, why would you say that? I said, because am I, he's like, so you were always going to survive. I said, very true. I said, my expiration date is my expiration date. But he said, how well I survived was due to my free will. He said, so if I kept my mouth shut, maybe I would have been the fourth um, permanent vegetative state, but I would have survived. Mm. So how has this affected, Stephanie uh, Arnold, in your day-to-day life now of um, just common day worries, angst and stuff? Is it easier for you to get through life without being worried and anxious and anything? It's not anxious. Um, I, I am not the, the, the mom I used to be because I've, it's, you know, I, had, I had intuitive moments as a child and I talked about that being on low voltage then you go asystolic which means you know no electricity running through the body and now i'm on high voltage so for many years so this happened nine years of many years i couldn't contain that high voltage energy as an empath and i would start feeling other people's pain and i also be feeling their their life and death situation which was like my god i have to stop this you know and it was like it was too much and i couldn't go outside let alone go to play dates for my kids or go to school functions and i couldn't be in a room with more than five people because i it would be too overwhelming and so i feel in that respect my kids have lost out on having the mom that can be down in the dirt playing with them in play dates and birthday parties and jumping around and and ta- having casual talk with moms about the weather and sales and shopping, um, I cannot do that. And yeah. so, so life for them has been different. Um, and in certain respects, you know, it's bad and good. You know, they, they've they learned that one can try triumph over such traumas and get back up and do more than survive. But then, you know, the, the, the flip side is, you know, sometimes they just, want to go to the park and play ball and i haven't been able to function like that because once you see the truth of things i don't put words in your mouth that a more small talk and things are just not that curious and interesting and fascinating because it's 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 more of um i want I'm so aware that we're on this planet in this body for so long. And the moments that I have with people, I want them to be real and true and honest and authentic. And fluff conversation or gossip, it doesn't it doesn't do it for me. It actually erodes my soul. So um, so that's been a but but that's part of normal everyday life and if you're you know if you're a mom with you know middle schoolers it's like they want to just get together but i'm now that person that's like oh she can see things and what if what if she could see that i'm a swinger what if she can see that you know um, whatever and so people people shy away from you know have eye-to-eye contact and I'm okay with that too because they don't want to be seen. And it's not like I'm going to air anybody's dirty laundry, but nobody, some people don't really want to be seen. They like their Instagram life. Um, and that is totally fine. Um, so, yeah. 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 There, there's a lot of uh, 
a lot of spiritual literature and some of the things that I study that uh, often um, go to the idea that this more spiritually evolved it can be a more lonely uh, world in a sense, you know, even because it's just different, you know, it's a different reality as you're experiencing with people. It's not bad or good, and they're not, you're not criticizing them, not at all. It's just different. No, it's not. It's just different. It, it's, it's true, but you know, you you have a, an 11 year old or a nine year old that's like, why, let's go do this, or let's have a play date with this day. And, you know, you, you know, when you have kids, it's like the parents that hang out together, the kids hang out together too. And so it's it's been tough. And then my husband, forget about my husband. <laughs> you know, like after this whole thing happened and there's a there's a chapter he had to write in the book he's like this isn't my book i'm not writing this go give the money back to harper collins like i'm like honey i have been telling you this it was going to happen for months then it happens and i am in a coma <laughs> the audience would like to know what the hell you're thinking mm -hmm, sure. right like like and so he's like I'm not, and you could tell that you know as much as he will never ever ever just like most men will never admit that something pains them so deeply because you don't want to get so close to that pain he's like i'm fine suppress repress move on you're healthy let's let's get it done and so you know having um us get back to normal or whatever that new normal is has been a process yeah yeah it's so I guess I don't get too proud, but it's, it must be challenging for you when the one that you love, soulmate, if, as you said, does not really, um, I don't know, you know what I mean. Well, I will tell you, if you haven't seen the Netflix thing, I um, no, I you should, okay, so you should watch it. But in the first episode, so we're, it's only 15 minutes, so it's like 30 minutes into the show. It's a, um, you see, at the end of the segment and i won't i won't i won't uh you know blow up for you guys but but you'll see a moment in this interview that i have gotten so much email about about please forgive your husband oh. and and it was i didn't think anything of it then he didn't think anything of it and then it airs and when you get hundreds of emails that to this to that's one same, that one idea I, right yeah obviously people are seeing something that i think is totally fine because i'm like okay you're not with us every day everything's fine and you know whatever and um we had to have a, a good heart to heart about what i was still holding on to blame not feeling protected not feeling believed and the reality is now he believes he believes me he believes that i can see things he doesn't know where it comes from and he's not going to go down that rabbit hole with me i mean i have been on this search on this journey to find out how it works the mechanics of how it works because i have continued to experience premonitions and i just want to know like you know is it you know is it hardwired here i'm feeling energy is, is it a a um, quantum physics or quantum entanglement idea it's things i would never be able to understand at, at first glance but if there is an energetic explanation for it i think I've, i want to ground myself in some sort of science because there have been moments and this gets into a, a much deeper spiritual conversation but there have been moments that scare the crap out of me thinking what if i didn't speak up 
what if I heard it? Like many people hear things and say, no, it's just not logical. So I'm not going to say anything. And they lose their lives. I would have missed up on all of these, these moments with my family because I didn't lean in trusting my gut. Yeah. And whether the gut is coming from someplace divine or whether it's coming um, as a hardwire, I, I would like to know a little bit more, you know, just to, you know, help him help me and then also i mean he has become more spiritual but not in the in the blatant ways that one would consider yeah so i see it i do see it how did you do did you go through the whole idea of forgiving him and did that work and did you feel a loosening of the energy between you and he yeah but it was more of you know, it was my work to do, not his. Sure, of course. It's always our work, right? It's never the other person's work. <laughs> yeah, but it was more of, um, I had to recognize that my husband's foundation on which he stands is solid, concrete, and what I am sharing with him in the way that I think would create a major gap in his foundation. And so with the tools that he has, the way he communicates and the way that he shares ideas and the way that he speaks and the way that he processes and his executive functioning is totally different than what my right brain handles. I understand. And, and so it took me the work to realize, okay, this isn't his fault that he didn't believe me. Um, it's, he believed it to a certain extent because he went to all these appointments because he was scared for me. So in his way, he did everything he could with the tools that he had to protect me, to believe me with the data that he had, right? And I'm sitting here saying, that's not the data that you need to judge. The data you need to judge is the thing that you can't see. And that doesn't work for somebody like him. Yeah. And so that... Exactly. It's a difference, as you know, sweetie, it's a different state of consciousness. It's not bad. It's not less or, le or more than you are. It's just different. It's like Chinese and English. I mean, you just don't understand either, each other. And it's just the way it works. And you, you're experiencing this. And it's happening all over our culture right now, right? Left, right, good, bad abortion no abortion it's just a different state of consciousness and people are fighting with each other because they want them to you know but it's just an illusion you know the whole thing you what you experience is real and it's the truth and you know that and what are you going to do i mean what are you going to do you know and i shout it from the rooftops because at the end of the day you know the the story is helping other people yes. that are looking for foreboding or experiences that they're having and they ha when i was looking for it and it didn't exist now it exists and so by sharing our stories no matter how crazy they are or who believes you or doesn't you're inserting yourself into this narrative so other people can feel brave enough to share theirs because as a collective the more people that share these ideas the more that it becomes believable and the more that people will lean into their and trust themselves when they feel something is not going to be right in a situation or that some danger is lurking whatever it is or something is going to be wrong that this still voice within which is the quake call and we've all we get these this information as you said most be we, we spend lifetimes not listening to it because it's just too crazy I mean come on and it's like no that can't be right but this information comes in all the time and all we have to do is listen and every soul has this 
opportunity to listen and to change their life because we all know everything you know we all we all know it all we just do and you just listened and I think that's really beneficial to help people know that they can listen too and like you're doing and it's good it's a, it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing good job thank you really well I honor your your bravery and your um, your wherewithal to, to buzz through it like you have and it'll keep going and you'll just keep learning and growing it's great good for you so your book is called let me bring up the title again yeah 37 seconds so you're spending a lot of time just like doing let me show it on the screen a lot of time just doing shows like this and talking about it do you go on going on yeah. tour and everything well i did do um i did a book tour when it came out the the audiobook came out with the netflix show last year and so that has been doing well um and no i mean every time there's an opportunity to talk to a different audience you just never know who's needing to hear that voice at that particular time yeah and so it, i wish i could do them all but you know you know whenever i can in those moments it's like okay let's do it um, i just started a tiktok so people can find me <laughs> stephanie arnold 37. <laughs> you gotta have a tiktok um, girl right you know, gotta have a TikTok. yeah yeah so Ste stephanie arnold 37 is tiktok but but people have been asking um these questions same conversations that we're having now and younger generations and so they are they're they're questioning what happens does constant consciousness exist what happens after one flat lines um what does it how how does one feel intuitive what does that feel like do does one need to go through such trauma in order to be and so it's it's great it's a great educational tool um and then and then so anybody can find me by you know going to my website at stephaniearnold.net if they're ever looking for a because I do, I do a lot of speaking at hospitals. And I bet you do, I yeah. It's great stuff to, to help people just to understand. So for what it's worth, I don't want to impose on your time. I'm the host here. But I've been blessed to have incredible body-to-body experiences a lot. A lot. A lot. I went through a tunnel in 1983, saw the light. I had a being with me, Stephanie. And uh, um, I, it was the most amazing thing I ever felt. It was like free crazy and then i start asking telepathically i said well well what will happen to my dog and my mom and my dad and my girlfriend if i keep going and this mm -hmm. being who was with me said oh they won't exist they won't exist and you contemplate that and that's interesting because when you go to a different state of consciousness the other people do not exist you just go mm -hmm. and so i kept going towards the light and at some point, I knew that I had to come back. I just knew. And that... that what prompted I'm sorry? Out of body, what prompted the out-of-body experience? It just happened. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was in a car with my girlfriend. It was cold. The lights were on. The, the car was on, 1983. We were, we were, you know, snuggling in the car with big coats. And the next thing I know, I was in this tunnel. And now with my spiritual path that I'm on, the... My spiritual teacher arranged for this to happen, and then I, then I, I met him, and it's a long story about my spiritual path. But the moment, the fraction I knew that I had to come back, I was back in my body, boom, like that. Oh. And she, this woman, was 
standing over me like freaked out thought I was dead she said I was getting ready to call 911 because I was like all the blood was going everything but not breathing just so I just you know so and as you know once you experience that game over you know it's just different it's just different so good for you I'll just encourage you I'll just encourage you to know that the answers are there you just keep looking you're going to figure it out and you're going to know how it all works because that's why we're here to learn how it works. Does it make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why yeah. we're here. And you're just, you know, you... And, just another And you knew it as a, as a child, too, right? You kind of knew there was something up, didn't you? I heard you say that. Yeah, well, I felt, I felt death before it happened. And then as a child do you think you're willing it to happen mm-hmm. so you quiet it down yeah and just, that was um, that was more of my issue you don't, you don't have a process you don't know how to process it but um but no i do believe that we all have our our experiences and when we share them whether one person is listening or a million people are good. listening just like you're doing and hopefully it helps someone when i was a kid on saturday mornings i would just go up on that ceiling and look at my body hanging down. I just felt the most amazing. And I just thought everybody did it. I never talked to anybody about it. I just did it. You know, I just figured out how to get up there. And and uh, we are not the body. You know, we just aren't. We're not the mind. We are soul. Right. We are spiritual beings. And you know that. And this is what, but there's so much awakening happening people like you coming up and me on my talk show and other people. And out-of-body experiences now, they're just kind of every day. I mean, there's a lot of them, right? People have them a lot. People going over above the operating room where they're dying. and So this great awakening is happening up in this bonkers world. So you're doing good, girl. You're part of the, part of the team. Good for you. So it's an honor to talk to you. Let us know if there's anything we can do and, and uh, good luck with your movie. You're going to write... Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was options, so we don't know. These things could take decades. Who <laughs> That's knows? right. That's right. It could be decades before you're on this, the big screen. You take care of yourself, and thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an honor. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Bye. Stephanie Arnold, OneRadioNetwork.com. Yep, yep. She's in for some real fun things this lifetime, and she keeps on going. Okay, kids. Well, here we are. Here we go. I will see you on Friday. And we will do, it takes a long time to get young, and this is what we talk about. What Stephanie experienced and uh, what you can, you can learn to leave your body. This is what we talk about. You can learn to leave it without having a traumatic thing happen. You don't have to die or, you know, do that. Um, You just don't, you know, you just don't. So, I'll see you Friday, okay? Take care. 10 o'clock. Be there. Be square. We have lots to talk about. I love you all very much. Take care. Bye. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.